0: What's up everyone? So sorry for the wait on this episode. This took a whole lot more digging than I originally anticipated, and I ended up unpacking most of the scene's history post-2000 alongside of Warps. Also, I hear y'all saying you want the show to go back to news with only deep dives, It blows my mind, but I do get it. Next week, the show will go back to the previous format with weekly news, radio talk, a deep dive, and more. But the new updated release date will be on Wednesdays. We do note to scene mainly at nights and weekends, and I just gotta find some time to take a break from things. I think Wednesdays will be a lot easier for me. So take a listen to this final only deep dive episode and let me know what you think. Go check out scene.com and at scene on Twitter to keep up with all the latest news and numbers from The Scene. As always, if you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at scene at gmail.com. Warp Tour was created in 1995 by Kevin Lyman and Ray Woodbury, who was president of an entertainment company called RK Diversified. The inaugural tour ran from June 21st to August 18th and featured bands such as No Doubt, Sick of It All, Sublime, Face to Face, Deftones, and more. A year later, in 1996, Vans was officially brought on as the primary sponsor. It was later revealed that Lyman had been in talks with Calvin Klein to be the tour sponsor, but instead decided on Vans. The tour's early years were centered around primarily punk and punk-adjacent bands. Mainstays during that time included NoFX, Pennywise, A Young Blink-182, and more. As those years passed, the lineup and routing expanded to different genres and locations. By 1997, artists such as Eminem, The Get Up Kids, Limp Bizkit, and The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones were all on the lineup. In 1998, the tour expanded overseas with dates in Australia, Japan, and Europe, among other locations. At the turn of the century, numerous bands from the beginning of Emo's third wave began making the lineups, and this is the wave that carried the tour to its commercial peak. While still predominantly punk-based, names such as Good Charlotte, Jimmy, World, AFI, New Found Glory, Sum 41, and others had begun making their way up to larger stages, eventually casting a shadow on most of the traditional punk bands on the tour. People tend to not remember this nowadays, but much like hip-hop currently, there was a big rift between the older and younger bands on the tour. The older heads of the Warped Tour Mm -hmm. community looked down on the younger bands who felt they were playing a watered-down version of the punk sound that created it in the first place. Keith Morris of the hardcore punk bands Black Flag and Circle Jerk said during that time, These kids that are playing on the Warped Tour... They should have no choice but to go into the military and go off to some desert somewhere and spend some time in the desert, rather than having some big, ultra-mega record company giving them lots of money and paying for their hotels and buses, making sure their hair is trendy, and that they are wearing proper clothes that all the kids like to wear, and all of that fun shit. Joe Queer of the punk band The Queers also said of the younger bands coming onto the tour at the time, you play music because there's something inside of you that says you have to play music. Now you get bands like Fall Out Boy that are basically created in the studio. The Warped Tour changed it. Fuck it. I just don't like that shit. All the guys in the bands remind me of the jocks I hated in high school. To me, a punk gig is a small, sweaty club with the audience right in front of your face, knocking over the mic stand and boogieing off the energy. As the early 2000s gave way to the mid-2000s, the discrepancy between generations only grew larger as major label emo bands took center stage on Warped. By 2005, names such as Fall Out Boy, My Chemical Romance, Good Charlotte, The All American Rejects, and others had all but taken over the tour's main stage placements, leaving the more traditional punk acts to perform on support stages, or not on the tour at all. 2005 was Warp's most successful year in terms of overall attendance. 700,000 tickets were sold across every date that summer. For context, in 2017, the tour's last year, before announcing its final run, only 300,000 tickets were sold. In 2005, multiple headlines and even rising bands on side stages were consistently selling $30,000 of merch per day. By the summer's end, profits for warped, broke over $1 million for the first time ever. Kevin Lyman says this run was the only time they ever made a profit on ticket sales. Here he's quoted saying, The Warped Tours only made money on tickets once, and 2005 was the year. If we turn a profit, it's from sponsorships and merchandise. So that tells you where the money comes from on big productions like Warped Tour. In an interview with Billboard a few years ago, Census Fails vocalist Buddy Nielsen echoed how important 2005 was for the scene. He said... Senses Fail did Warped the year before. My Chem wasn't My Chem yet, as we know them. Senses Fail wasn't Senses Fail yet. On Warped Tour 2005, everybody was everybody. Fall Out Boy was Fall Out Boy. You had the most bands that were not only successful, but like pop music successful. Let's look at some numbers for a breakout band from that year. Fallout Boy's From Under the Cork Tree album was released on May 3rd, 2005, about a month and a half before Warped started. It sold 168,000 units first week and debuted at number one. Following the tour's completion, Sugar We're Going Down reached its peak of number eight on the Hot 100 in September. Warped 2005 was a pivotal time for Fall Out Boy and the Cork Tree cycle. It helped catapult the band to heights much quicker than anyone saw coming. My Chemical Romance were pulling record merch sales numbers that summer that never ended up being broken. According to Kevin Lyman, they did between $30,000 and $50,000 per day. Here's what Kate Truscott, their merch manager at the time, had to say about the record day. Our highest day was $60,000, which to my knowledge is a record that's yet to be beaten by any band on Warped. It was in Detroit, a 30,000 person show at the Silverdome. I headed to banks on our days off and our tour manager would be like, what's in your backpack? You can't walk into the bank with $250,000 on you. Lyman says the Dropkick Murphys were likely the highest paid band on the tour that year per show. They were getting between $15,000 and $17,000 per while he was able to book the bubbling bands such as Fall Out Boy and Atreyu for about $1,500 apiece. Altogether, he said he was paying out about $125,000 to talent per date. While the tour never returned to as big as it was in 2005, that year set the groundwork for what Warp Tour would become over the next 13 years. The scene went through a transition in 2006 and 2007. The dark clothes and black eyeliner of emo gave way to the bright shirts, pants, and hair of what would become scene kids. 2007 to 2009 brought us Neon, which was pop punk sunshine and rainbows moment. Bands like Paramore, All Time Low, Boys Like Girls, We the Kings, Forever the Sickest Kids led this wave. It was brief and you could count the long tail survivors on one hand but it was a pivotal moment in our world's overall appearance post hardcore also went through an interesting moment during this time bands like dance gavin dance amorosa skylit drive scary kids scaring kids enter shikari and so on all started gaining notable momentum they all brought a different take on the genre as opposed to the early 2000s interpretations from under oath and the Use and senses fail and others There was more of a flare to this wave. Myspace also hit its peak, literally producing bands like I Set My Friends On Fire, Hollywood Undead, Broken Side, The Millionaires, and others. Myspace actually removed I Set My Friends On Fire's cover of Soldier Boy's Cranked At three times because it was receiving so many streams. The platform thought the band were creating bots to fake them. As far as I know, this is the first instance of a fake streams conversation in history. I Set My Friends on Fire played Warped in 2009, and then again in 2011. What's interesting about the scene's second wave is that after 2006, major labels began leaving the scene. Of course there are anomalies. Amberlynn signed to a major in 2008, The main signed to a major in 2009, Four years strong, signed to a major in 2011, and so on. But for the most part, our world being a focus for majors and getting full fledged push from them ended after 2006. So the fact that the scene had a second golden era in the early 2010s was largely due to Warp Tour, the internet, and surprisingly, print media. Fans who were too young for emo and came into the scene during this wave gravitated to Alternative Press and Rock Sound and used them alongside the internet to find new bands. And then when summer rolled around, there was a good chance you could go see those new bands on Warped Tour. It was a very healthy grassroots launching pad cycle that proved you could do big things without the help of majors. As the decade gave way, so did a new era of the scene. Modern Metalcore launched a new era with the help of bands like Attack Attack, Axie Alexandria, Woe Is Me, and others. They introduced Crabcore, and soon nearly every band had a breakdown backed with some variation of an apresio synth, but it felt exciting at the time. You had post-hardcore bands like Sleeping with Sirens and Pierce the Veil, Snowballing in Momentum, and juggernaut outliers like Bring Me the Horizon and A Day to Remember, who remain the scene's two biggest bands to this day, nearly a decade later. Warped Tour ticket sales fluctuated from the late 2000s into the early 2010s, but for the most part remained healthy and sustainable. Kevin Lyman adapted to the scene's changing landscape and had a keen eye for seeing which bands were gaining momentum and which bands were falling. Fast forward to 2015, and we enter Warped Tour's first major public controversy. In December of 2014, it was announced that the acoustic solo artist Front Porch Step, also known as Jake McElfresh, would be performing on Warped in 2015. Later that winter, he was accused multiple times of sexual harassment of underage girls. He was removed from the Warped Tour lineup in response. However, on July 1st, 2015, Kevin Lyman allowed Miguel Fresh to perform a set during Warped's Nashville, Tennessee date on the Acoustic Basement stage. Many artists came out against the decision, including The Wonder Years, Census Fail, Beartooth, Stick to Your Guns, and others. Lyman later released a statement, saying... He was only supposed to be here long enough to play this show, but the weather today has been putting us behind schedule. He wasn't added to the tour, so those claims that he was added to sell tickets are completely groundless. If he was a legitimate danger to anyone, he simply would not have been here. Which, looking back now, is a wild response to a situation like this. This began a whirlwind of controversy around Warp Tour for the remainder of that summer and across the next three years. Later in 2015, Johnny Craig and his band Slaves were voted off the tour in an unprecedented town hall-style meeting attended by roughly 275 members of the tour that summer. The vote was in response to Craig sexually harassing a female merchandise saleswoman who was touring with his band. Craig maintained that he never touched the woman, and Lyman released a statement to Billboard at the time saying, "'When I booked him, my first question was, is Johnny sober?' A few years back, I helped him get into rehab twice. He couldn't stay clean on the tour, so we had his dealers arrested each day. On a last-ditch effort, I flew his mother out to the tour at my expense to tell her that her son would die if he did not get clean. I did this because in 1995, I wish I had flown Sublime singer Brad Knoll's parents in and told them the same thing. After his mother reached out to me about giving him another chance, I woke up and came up with a five-point plan. Many members of the tour voiced opposition, so we had the town hall and anyone could speak, including him. About 275 members of the tour came. When all was said, the vote was held and approximately 75% thought this was not the right place if he was not sober. Following the completion of Warp's 2015 run, Kevin Lyman gave an interview where he was quoted saying, Next year we're going to have no kids on this tour. It's going to be really tough if you want to be on this tour and are 21 and under whether it's the artist, crew, anyone. Many people interpreted this as pertaining to fans as well, creating a storm of controversy. Lyman later tweeted saying that he was misquoted and was debating placing an age limit only on bands, crew, and tour personnel, and that the tour would remain all ages for fans. However, the damage was done, the tour received massive amounts of press for all the wrong reasons, and the public sentiment around Lyman had begun to shift. In the 2000s, he was seen as a hero to the scene and beyond. Now he was becoming a villain in many people's eyes. While Warp's 2016 run saw some rebounds at the box office in select markets, the trend continued downward into 2017, which was the tour's lowest point in history. That summer grossed a total of $8.7 million, which was the lowest since 1999. 252,000 total tickets were sold at the box office which was also the lowest since 1999, and they averaged 6,486 tickets sold per date, which was the lowest since 1997. Aside from the overwhelming negative press, Lyman had been noticing a trend for a while now. He said about the 2017 tour, "...that super young side of our demo just seemed to want to stay inside and watch Netflix." I've been telling people, look, if those 14 to 17 year olds don't turn into 18 to 21 year olds that start going to concerts, you lose them because concerts get imprinted in your DNA by the time you're 21. If you're not going to shows by the time you're 21, chances are they're not going to be that important to you. There was also a new wave of bands in the scene that refused to play Warped Tour. Mainly 4th Wave Emo, but peripheral bands as well. Everyone from touche amore to modern baseball turned down offers to perform for one reason or another. Ultimately, everything culminated in the announcement of Warp's final full country run in 2018, which, unsurprisingly, was a massive success. Thanks to the nostalgia economy and as solid of a lineup as Lyman could put together, Warped reported a $21.3 million gross, nearly tripling the year before. They sold 540,000 tickets at the box office, averaging 14,000 tickets per show with an average gross of $560,000. In 2019, Warp did three successful festival dates in California, Ohio, and New Jersey. But other than that, the scene has been quiet. Replacement tours such as Sad Summerfest and Disrupt have either been just successful enough or a complete money pit shit show. A lot of things have led to the scene's death, and a lot of things led to Warp Tour's death. Bands want to blame everyone and everything. The kids stopped coming out, the internet has changed things only for the worse, we can't make money off of streaming. While the older kids are simply just adults now with families and mortgages, and the younger generation that the scene needed to support it just came up through different avenues and supported different things. I'm in teased a Warp Tour comeback earlier this year for 2021, just that it wouldn't be called Warp Tour. The reality is, you can't do a tour that big with what's left of the scene. You need big bands to carry it. Unless you can afford to book Blink 182, Paramore, Bring Me the Horizon, and A Day to Remember all on the same tour with at least 20 other bands, you have to branch out. And spoiler alert, they absolutely cannot afford to do that. With all the horror stories that have come out of the scene over the last five years, it's definitely for the best that a platform like this doesn't exist because our world doesn't deserve it. It seems like every week now there is a new band getting canceled for just being complete shitheads. I'm glad these newer bands were never able to use Warped as a platform, and for all the bands who did play it and took advantage of their fans in any way, fuck you. You all claim to love the scene so much, but you just turned out to be another reason why it died.